So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and uh, to study your word. And I pray that we will be open to receive what you have to give tonight, uh, that we'll enjoy our time of fellowship here in the room. And for those that are watching uh, now or later, uh, you will uh, just be with them, uh, help them to enjoy fellowship with your spirit. And uh, just to, uh, if they're not in fellowship at a church right now, that uh, you would uh, just uh, direct each person to where they can go and gather with a group of people on a regular basis. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we finally come to the end of this chapter and we may end up finishing tonight or we may not. It just really depends. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, beginning of verses 19. And uh, the block of text that we're going to look at is verses 19 through 23. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So we just need to think about what is most important in life. And people have a variety of answers. But if there's a heaven, then getting people to heaven is the most important thing for us, right? Finding a way to help people to enter heaven should be the most important thing for us as far as what we were, we're going to do in our relation to other people. First, ensuring that we can be there and spend eternity with God. And as I've told you guys many times, I mean, that's, that's priority one for everyone is figure out whether you wanna spend eternity with God because there's no other heaven, there's no other eternal life, uh, there's eternal death, you know, hell and so forth. But uh, there's no other hope, there's no other help, there's no other love, there's no other light, there's no other life except with God. And so um, if that is the case, then I should be looking at all of my other activities. And as I said on Sunday, and I don't know if uh, you know everyone was paying attention or not, but um, we spend a lot of time chasing dust. The only thing that's gonna survive the grave is what in you is transformed by Christ. So what is Christ-like in you will survive the grave. And that is the you that will spend eternity with God. All of these other little frivolous things that we worry about won't. So once we've got that established and I've got that relationship with Jesus, uh, then the next thing is I need to share this with other people. And that, as I shared two weeks ago on Sunday morning, that's the divine mandate, love God with all you are, and that's the divine commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. So with that in mind, that was the Apostle Paul's one goal in life, uh, is, to, is to share that with people. There's just no greater gift and there's no greater message than the gospel, which offers that gift. So if I care about others, I'm gonna share the gospel. All I need is a willing recipient. Now, I'm not 
into going around and buttonholing people and making them feel bad about themselves and forcing them into what they would construe as religion. I just don't, I don't think that does anything. I think you need to be salt and you need to be light and we need to shine our light and love people. And if they're interested, they'll be interested. You know, we just need to be open for divine appointments. And if people are not interested and they're angry and hostile and whatever, we don't have to be mean to them. You don't, you don't need to win a religious argument. If you're right, you don't have to prove yourself right to other people. Just live right, you know, live out there. Um, so if I care about others, then I'm gonna share the gospel with them. And all I wanna see, find is someone who's willing to, to listen. And I've told you my story about the people that I try to talk to at Intrinsic, for example, but I don't sit there and just, you know, shake them and bring my Bible and read verses to them or anything. We just talk, we just talk. And I just talk to them like I would talk to you. I'm a pastor, they know I'm a pastor, they know I, you know, this is my church. And I sit there and just talk with them. Um, and you know, I let the, if I know I'm gonna see people more than one time, then I'm not gonna try to close the deal the first time I'm there. So I started to meet some of your folks that are over there at Millhouse. Uh, what is the young man's name that's back there? Gavin. Gavin, that's right. I, I, he was like the one that actually I talked to for not a long period of time, just a brief period of time, but not about anything religious or spiritual or whatever. I don't know where he stands as far as that. And I'm not trying to bring him into a conversation that he's not here. I'm just saying it's not just an intrinsic, it's where I go, right? That's what I'm gonna do. And I'm just gonna try to just be me there. And if they're interested, they'll ask questions or they'll be open when I you know, share something, right? Um, but that's what we all need to be is is willing to share the gospel. Um, so Paul's policy of suspending his personal rights. So that's what he said here. Though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, or even that word can be translated slave. His policy of suspending his personal rights for the sake of sharing the gospel is the ideal example of compassion. So if last week I focused on consideration, which is just being willing to look out for the interests of other people the you know the you know not not forcing your 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 traffic rights um you know being willing to hold the door for people that sort of thing that's consideration then i would say this week we're we're going to go a little deeper and talk about compassion right where i'm going to enter into someone else's life someone else's suffering someone else's need and I'm gonna seek to meet that need. But again, love is acting in the best interest of someone. So yeah, Halloween just came and you know, these kids have a ton of candy. And uh, I know at least, you know, two families are limiting their children's candy, right? Even though the kid has like five pounds of candy, they're not gonna just let them sit there and eat five pounds of candy because this is not healthy for a kid. You're not, you're not helping a kid by just letting them have a giant box of candy in their room and is eating it 24 hours a day, right? But that's kind of us, isn't it? We have all kinds of things that we want and sometimes we call them needs. I know I need that, I need that. You know, I know I need that. We don't really need that, we just want that. And so when you're following Jesus, um, you're not gonna get a lot of the things that you think you need or that you think you want because he's gonna lead you to what you really need, right? And he's gonna help you to discover, hey, 
I really didn't want that after all. And I really did want this after all. So your best bet is always to say, not my will, but thy will be done, right? So, you know, what is the candy in your life? You know, what do you need to, to say, you know, hey, limitation here. It might be real candy. <laughs> you know, limitation here, you know. And I've discovered my family on my dad's side uh, gets type 2 diabetes apparently fairly readily. And so other than my, my, my craft beer addiction over here at Intrinsic, I just don't, I really don't eat sugar and sweets and starch and I, my diet is not as good as it was right now, but I still don't eat a lot of that. Was, uh, I'm not trying to get into food or anything. I'm trying to help you to understand that once you start doing, so, you know, following a healthy pattern, it just becomes the norm. So, you know, I don't have to say, oh man, I gotta say no to Cokes again, you know. Um, I don't want that, that's not what I want. And there are other areas of my life that I would, you know, I need to engage in that, that sort of discipline. But there are all sorts of freedoms that we have um, that we need to be willing to suspend for a period of time or in the presence of people for whom that freedom would be offensive. That's really been the, the theme of this entire chapter is, am I willing to do this? Am I willing to make myself a servant to all? Not so I can be a doormat, right? But so that I might win more of them. Now, I like this term. I remember when I was uh, first uh, a Christian, when I first came to faith in a Baptist church, you would hear about soul winning a lot. You ever heard that term? Mm -hmm. yeah. Soul winning. Are you a soul winner? And, you know, I, I mean, it kind of got to where it wore smooth on everybody and it just, you know, became, it sort of felt like something you were supposed to do, but didn't know how to do and that sort of thing. But I like the idea of winning people, right? Not winning an argument, but being, have you heard this term winsome? Mm -hmm. Having a winsome attitude, a winsome lifestyle. It's, you're just living the, uh, in such a way that people are interested. And people are interested in all sorts of horrible things, as is evident, you know, by social media and what goes down. But, you know, people still have that image of God in them. And until that just becomes so scarred and marred that, you know, they don't want to have anything at all to do with God or the things of God, you may find that just living that Christian life, that wholesome, healthy Christian life would be something that would be winsome. I can go all the way back, um, to my mid-20s, uh, I started working for a foster care group home. Uh, it seems to me that uh, foster care and adoption is, uh, is growing, if not in popularity, at least in interest for people. Well, I ran a foster care group home. And when I started, I was just a youth counselor because I, was, I had graduated from Baylor and I was not impressed with the, uh, I guess, what I thought I had to fit into as far as a, the mold of a preacher or a minister and what people thought of that. And so it just kinda, I knew I was gonna go into ministry, it just kinda backed away for a while. And actually, uh, I went back to this school that I started at, Grand Canyon College, now it's Grand Canyon University, and they had a really good uh, teacher's education program. And so, I just 
enrolled there. In fact, I didn't even have to, you know, I didn't get my transcripts from Baylor and say, hey, I'm a graduate and all this other stuff. I had already been a student there, so I just enrolled. I was like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you know, I've already got this degree. So, you know, if I want to go ahead and complete this, then, you know, it doesn't matter. So I just enrolled and I really enjoyed the classes that I took. I was going to get my secondary uh, certification and it would have taken me about three semesters, probably maybe four, because I would need to fill out some hours in either uh, an English or a history uh, major so that I could teach that. During the time that I was there, I, I needed a job, obviously. And so there was a job board at Grand Canyon and there was a notice on the job board for a youth counselor. And I thought, okay, well, that's cool. That, this is back when I was crazy and wanted to work with teenagers. <laughs> and I did, I had brain damage back then. But I went and I started out as a, as a youth counselor in this group home and it was, just getting off the ground, literally. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a social worker, there was uh, an executive director, and there was a program director, and there was me and I think one other guy that were youth counselors. And we started off in a four-bedroom house with one kid. And he was hell on wheels, let me tell you. Oh, mercy. I, I, I love how people romanticize these things like, oh, no, we need to help. And, and OK, you do. But it's not easy. If you think it's easy, you have never worked around troubled people, period. Quote, quote unquote, normal people, people that don't have a ton of difficulty are hard to work with. Right. People that have a lot of issues are more challenging. I won't go into the detail of that. What I'm going to say, though, is that I worked my way up in a very, very uh, fast track from being a youth counselor part-time to being a youth counselor full-time to being the program manager of a particular house. And then we opened another house and we had an apartment for these kids moved through this program on a multiple level system that I won't get into. And, uh, but they could, our goal was to, was to teach them independent living skills. All of our uh, young adults were young men between the ages of 15 and 18. And we discovered that even 15 was too young because they're just still not thinking about the future and not thinking about having to live on their own. But when they get to be about 17, they know the state's going to cut them off. They're not going to have any money. They're going to be on the street. And, you know, so a lot of these kids end up in, you know, all sorts of bad situations, crime, jail, whatever. Um, so our goal was to make sure they had their education whether that meant finishing high school or getting their GED, and that they uh, learned how to get a job, they learned how to get an apartment, they learned how to save money, and we were doing all of that so that they could, you know, handle it. And so I became the, the program director. I didn't even, technically, you needed a master's degree in order to do that job, but, you know, I'd been there the whole time, and so that was the job that I did. And during this time, I could see this principle in operation where, you know, you can shine your light. Now, the executive director, the guy that owned the group home was a Christian man, but this was a program that was paid for by the state. 
And so you couldn't just run a full on, you know, Bible studies and gospel program and all this other stuff. So you had to shine your light. That's the only way you were gonna do it. These kids all knew I was a Christian. These kids all knew that, you know, I was gonna, my goal was to become a minister. These kids all knew that I cared for them, but I didn't let them get away with anything, nothing, right? That was, in fact, this was during a time when I thought I might also be a police officer for a period. Because, you know, part of what I was doing over there felt like being a police officer. And I actually went, I went through the application process for the Phoenix Police Department. And uh, I read a book called Cops, Their Own Story and pretty much decided that is not what I want to do, right? But you can shine your light and you can show tough love and it doesn't have to be in a religious context, right? You don't have to be an overtly religious person. Just be yourself. And, uh, but I can remember I had, uh, there was a, another youth counselor that we hired a little bit later. And uh, our, the program manager before me had a master's degree in social work and he was not a believer. And I remember him seeing this other youth counselor, just, he, he would just watch this, this young man who just seemed so happy. You just, just see, I, you know what the best word? Content. This other young man, he was just content. And I remember the, the, the program manager talking to me one day, he was just watching this other young man, this other youth counselor, just sitting at the desk in the office, opening up a little piece of candy and putting it in his mouth and writing in the, you know, the log book and so forth. And he said, he's just so happy. And I thought, well, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> I, I'm trying to be a <laughs> Christian, whatever. But my point is that's winsome. You see what I'm saying? That's winsome. So when you're, you know, when you're a, just a censorious, judgmental, harsh, complaining, nobody wants that, right? And, and too many Christians have become no, 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 no people, right? No, 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 don't believe that, no. And, you know, they've just, they've aligned themselves with a particular politician or a particular political position or a particular ideology that is not a biblical ideology. And that can be on the left or on the right. It just, it, you know, it frustrates me to see how people refuse to apply their purported Christian ethics to day-to-day -day situations. And I, I just look at, at posts that people make. And again, it's not one side or the other, if you think I'm just picking on people on the left. No, I see people on both sides and I'm just like, you, you're, you're purportedly, reputedly a Christian, but what you're promoting is not Christianity. It's not Jesus, right? So you're not gonna be able to shine the light when you're doing that, right? Um, so the Apostle Paul was thought it was very, very important for us to consider our audience, consider the people that you are around. So if I'm around people that are on the left, I'm not gonna spend all my time picking apart the things that I don't like about their particular viewpoints, right? If I'm sitting around with people on the right, I'm not gonna spend all my time telling them, well, you know, you claim to be a Christian, but you're not doing this and this and this. I'm gonna to try to focus on being kind and compassionate. You would be surprised at how many people 
are drawn to just being nice. Just be nice. <laughs> Christians need to stop being mean. <laughs> Honestly, now, if you share the gospel and, you know, the gospel, is a, it's a stumbling block in itself. And, you know, I just, I know that I'm not entirely successful at it, but I try very hard to say what the positive side of the argument is, right? So, you know, no, God has a better plan for your life than this. No, God wants us to treat these people that you're calling names and, you know, that you're hating and ostracizing. He wants to treat them with compassion and with love and with kindness. So, yeah, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Not, you know, buttonholing people and winning arguments and telling them that they're, you know, they don't know anything and they're foolish and, you know, more horrible terms than that. If I'm going to win people, then I've got to be kind about it. I, I really do. Now, it doesn't mean you're not passionate about what you think and what you believe and so forth, but, you know, and, and I'm avoiding controversies that I could bring up right now because then we just end up going down a particular road and people make assumptions one way or the other. I'm not um, shy about speaking the truth. What I've got to make sure is that I speak the truth in love. I really do because when we're passionate about something, we can appear, even if we're not intending to, we can appear to be off-putting, judgmental, and so forth, right? So, Apostle Paul says, I'm free from all, but I've made myself a slave to all. So I need to be compassionate, genuinely compassionate, and ask myself, what is going to be helpful for this person? What is gonna be genuinely helpful for this person? Not, can I give them another piece of candy, but what is going to help them along their way, right? So let's look at the, the freedoms that we have in Christ, okay? What do we do with that freedom? I'm a slave to no one. I'm a, a debtor to no one. Um, you know, I finally got out of debt years ago, so that's, whoo, name, it's good. I'm beholden to no one except one, Jesus, right? Elsewhere, Paul has admonished us not to use our freedom to indulge what he calls the flesh. And he uses this word, this Greek word over and over, sarks. Now, when we hear flesh, you might think, you know, your skin, right? Or you might think your body. But what it is, it is the, the complex of habits and attitudes and your approach to life apart from God, right? It's the earthly life. It's not, your body's not evil. Okay, we're not Gnostics. We don't think that just the mind is, you know, good and it's all the physical that's the problem. We're just the spirit is good and the physical is the problem. We're inextricably bound together. You're going to live in eternity if you receive the gift of eternal life. You're going to live in eternity in a body. In a body. You're not going to float around as some ephemeral spirit. You're going to be living in a body. Jesus rose from the dead and he had a body. He ate. He didn't need to, but he ate. He touched them. He showed them the wounds that he had that, you know, uh, are a part of his identity now, 
I don't think that that means that in eternity, you're gonna have all the scars that you got in this life, but perhaps you'll have some. It reminds you of what you went through, right? Um, Jesus did. He had the wounds in his hand, he had the wounds in his side. You're gonna live for eternity in a body. So indulging the flesh means doing what I want to do apart from the will of God, right? So we're taught not to look after our own personal interests alone, but to be considerate of the interests of others. That's uh, Philippians chapter two, that passage that I quote all the time, and it's very pertinent for the Christmas season, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being found in appearance as a man, right? And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, and then, you know, he rose from the dead and now, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. I need to have that mind that Jesus had, that self-emptying, that willingness to be a servant. So it's interesting to me, if just a cursory reading of the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you're gonna find these disciples were arguing all the time about who was the greatest. Are you kidding me right now? Yes. That's a human thing. St. Luke and St. Yeah, St. James and St. John, the brothers, you know, go to Jesus and say, yeah, we wanna sit on your right and your left in your glory. And all the other disciples are just livid about this. What is the deal? They didn't have it figured out until Jesus went to the cross. And then their whole world was taken away. And then when he rose from the dead, they understood we've got to go through that same experience. So um, children today, I think on the whole, at least in our culture, are valued now. I say that there's plenty of ways that they're not valued, but on the whole, they're valued. They're considered special, you know? You see a kid and you're, oh, you know. And they're just, they're so, they're so sweet. Yeah, take them home. Tell me about that again. <laughs> I think we've got several four-year-olds in my karate class and they are so cute. But if you're around them for any length of time, you find that the cute wears out. <laughs> They are little humans and they are fallen humans. And yeah, so. And our church kids are cute. Oh, they are. Yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, Craig had to take a, um, a young lady from his uh, junior high, his middle school to the hospital because uh, she got injured and her parents couldn't be there. And so he wasn't at karate. Uh, last night. And uh, so I'm up there leading the older, older, I say, more experienced kids, you know, in their stuff. And here comes Shiloh, you know, right at Bradley. I didn't even look down at him, but, you know, just put my hand down there. But I know what's going to happen. If I look down at him, he's just going to look up at me like this. Like, ain't I cute? You know I am, right? But that same little kid last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, because it was before Halloween, 
um, I can't remember, he was at the candy bucket and I don't know, something. And so I tried to hand him a lifesaver and I'm not kidding you, the kid batted it out of my hand. I thought, you little neener nonner. You're lucky I didn't tell your parents. <laughs> he actually, no, I don't want that. Just batted it out of my hand. I thought, okay, yeah, you think you're cute, right? Um, but children, right? We, we love them. But they didn't have that same attitude back then, right? You know, and really go back to the turn of the 20th century and, you know, in this country. And you'll find kids were just like, you know, keep your mouth shut and, you know, stay out of the way of the adults. And, you know, if you make it past typhoid fever and measles and mumps and, you know, all these diseases and you survive, then we'll start talking to you. Um, and I think it was very similar in Jesus' day because these children, the parents were bringing their children to Jesus, you know, to be blessed by him or whatever. And the disciples, once again, they were just so in tune. You know, they're, they're like, hey, hey, keep those kids away from the master. And Jesus said, no, right? This is what the kingdom of God is about. Now, not because they're cute, but because they're dependent, Right? You can have the snottiest, naughtiest kid in the world, but they're not, they're not gonna be able to care for their own needs and they know it. They know it. You have to feed them. You have to protect them. You have to guide them. That's us. That's why Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. But he told his disciples, he said, no, it's not about who's the greatest. And this is another time. He took a child and sat him in the midst. He said, the greatest among you must be like this little child, right? You must become the least. You know, a kid has no, uh, they have nothing that they can do for you, right? And I don't mean they, they don't make you feel good and that you, you would not enjoy giving and helping, but see, that's different. They don't, they can't do anything for you. They really can't, right? I mean, let's just be honest. We love their little paintings and all that. <laughs> I mean, we really do, don't we? Because, because we value the child. I've got a whole pile back here. The entire month of October is supposed to be uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, nobody ever does anything for Pastor Appreciation Month. But at random times throughout the year, the children's ministry will do something where they have the kids, you know, make like little cards or, you know, whatever. And we appreciate you and whatever. And I've got a pile down here behind the stage and I've got another pile upstairs and you know they've they've made their little pictures and whatever and you know we just look down here and okay I'm fairly sure you know that might not be a kid there's there's some others down here that look like I think so. <laughs> they might be a kid but you know when a four-year-old brings you a, a page that they colored it's just a mess right unless like this is you know yeah, the, you know, a savant or whatever. I mean, they're just, they're going to bring you this scribbled on page and you're probably going to really like it, right? Yeah. But if you were to evaluate that objectively, does that have any value? It has value because you think it's valuable, but could you sell it online? Could you get any money for it? You know, if you needed to, you know, earn some money, no, 
it's only valuable because you think it's valuable because you value that. That kid can do nothing for you, right? I do the karate club. I don't take up dues. I don't do any of that stuff. I just do it because I want to do something for our kids and the kids in the neighborhood over there. But they don't do anything for me. They just make me tired. That's all. They just make me tired. So um, that's love. If you really want to be able to love someone, you can't need anything from them. Now, we do have a tendency with our own kids and grandkids um, to enter into what uh, psychologists have, have called codependent relationships, right? We need to be needed. We want to be wanted. So although that kid can't earn a living for me, unless, you know, it's the kid's an actor or something. I mean, you got these kids that are in movies or whatever, they're earning their parents millions of dollars. Um, they can't, they can't do anything that, you know, is of any value other than the value that I put on them. But if I'm going to truly love someone, be it a child or be it, you know, a peer or be it an opposite sex relationship, believe it or not, I've got to start by not wanting or needing anything from them at all. And that's tough because a lot of times we're attracted to someone and don't take that in the, you know, the typical sexual way. We're attracted, we're drawn to someone because they have something that we want or they represent something that we like. You see, there's a need there, right? Or there's a want there and I'm being drawn to that. And so that causes me to have an interest. And then when they don't meet that need, right? When the cute kid bats the candy out of your hand, you're like, get out of here, kid. What are you doing around here? All right? You don't know. But if I'm going to truly love that person, then this is why Jesus could say, love your enemies. All right? Your enemy's not doing anything for you. Your enemy's dangerous. But Jesus said, love your enemy. That's not a feeling that I have for that person. It is, am I willing to do what is best for that person? Right? So, this is the basis of love and real compassion. And it is what is philosophically, theologically, what is below, beneath, founding, uh, the, the founding idea for, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He's compassionate. He cares enough about people that he wants to bring them into the kingdom of God. He wants them to have eternal life. So he says, I want that so much that I'm not just going to point the finger and preach at people, but I'm just going to seek to be an example, to, to serve and to love, right? Um, that, I think, is compassion. So last week we talked about consideration. This week I would say this is compassion. So it's ironic that Paul, who taught that we should serve one another, um, that he believed, as many in our society do, that he was free from subjection to the opinions and values and expectations of other people. The dramatic difference is in what the apostle taught Christ followers to do. Those who do not actively worship God and follow Christ will follow their own values, which will be based on self-protection, preservation, pleasure, and propagation of their own DNA. Service to others is the Christian's response of gratitude toward Christ, 
What did Jesus say? In that you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So if you want to love Jesus, then love the least of these, right? And love, again, is not this feeling that I have, but this willingness to just, you know, shine the light and help if it is possible for me to help. The goal of service is to share the gospel of Christ. I serve others because I love Jesus and I want the best for them. So um, to the Jews, he says, I became a Jew. Well, Paul was born and raised a Jew by race and culture and religion. However, he now considered himself a follower of Christ first and foremost, relegating his past as a Pharisee to the trash heap, essentially. He said in Philippians 3.8, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or as garbage. Um, the Greek word is skubala, and it's actually kind of an almost an obscene word. It would almost, not quite, but it would almost be like using the S word, right? <laughs> Poopy. I consider all that dung. That's, that's how strong this word skubala is, right? Um, he put it all behind him. Well, even though this is true, up here he says to the Jews I became as a Jew. Paul continued at times to find significance in some Jewish practices. Apparently, uh, when we read Acts, he put himself under a Nazarite vow at one point. You can find that in Acts 18.18. 18. What that involved was during the period of the Nazarite vow, um, you would touch nothing that came from the grapevine, no grapes, no raisins, no juice, no wine. You would not cut your hair. You would let your hair grow the entire time, right? And you spent that time with your complete focus on the Lord. And then at the end of that vow, then you would have your, your hair cut. And that's why we think that it was a Nazarite vow because he says in 1818 that he was gonna have his, his hair cut um, <coughs> related to this vow. On another fateful occasion, Paul followed the advice of James. This isn't James of James and John uh, repute that I mentioned earlier. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who became the first uh, pastor in the Jerusalem church. He followed the advice of James to enter the temple and pay for uh, the, the end vow uh, sacrifices that some men who apparently were under a Nazarite vow were taken. Um, the intent was to demonstrate exactly what Paul is saying in this passage to the Jews I became as a Jew, namely that he can participate in the practices of the Jews as a concession to show respect and to win their hearts. Unfortunately, sadly, that's not what happened. So you can read this whole account in Acts chapter 21 if you would like to read it on your own. I would read it tonight, but it would take us too long. So I'm just going to briefly summarize it. The Apostle Paul went into the temple, he was doing everything, he knew how to do everything right, he was purified, there was nobody with him that shouldn't have been in the temple, Gentiles were not allowed in the temple. He went in and immediately some Jews from Asia caused a riot and started accusing Paul of being a, the, the big word is antinomian, being somebody that was opposed to the Mosaic law. And they accused him of bringing a Greek into the temple. Well, he did no such thing. They were just lying. Um, or they were convinced that that was the case because the rumor spread or whatever. But I mean, they literally, they started beating him and they were, they were tearing him apart. 
And the Tribune for the temple area had to go down and literally rescue Paul. I mean, they had to pick him up by the arms and carry him up the stairs into the barracks where the soldiers were um, to save him from being torn limb from limb by his own people. When all he'd done is go in there to try to appease them and show, see, look, I'm not a bad guy, right? I believe in our people and I love the Jewish people and I am a Jewish person and so forth. Well, what ended up happening was Paul was never released from confinement from that point on. He was put under arrest. Initially, they were gonna beat him. He told them he was a Roman citizen and then they relented. Um, they found out there was a plot by his, uh, his Jewish brethren to, to kill him. Over 40 men had taken a vow that they were going to kill Paul before they ate again. Paul's nephew found out about this and came and told the Tribune and the Tribune had 200 soldiers escort Paul to, uh, to the coast, to the, the governor there, um, to uh, Festus, I believe was his name at that point in time. There were two governors, there was Festus and there was Felix. Um, in any event, but Paul ended up being in jail from that point on. He was never released because he eventually was in jail in Caesarea for two years and then he appealed to Caesar and he ended up going on that fateful trip all the way to Rome. And then he was, uh, was imprisoned in Rome. Initially, he was just in a house where he was attached to Roman soldiers, but he eventually went to the Mamertine dungeon. He appeared before Nero's court, whether he ever actually appeared before Nero, we don't know, but he was beheaded. Now, there are a few interpreters that believe Paul may have been released for a short period of time and then rearrested, but we have no evidence for that. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes you can't make people happy, no matter what you do. So I just always say, their response is not your responsibility. You just do what's right. The apostle Paul was trying to do what's right. That's all he was trying to do. And then you have to trust a providence. So. Uh, our, our friend Elijah, who does all our tech around here, uh, posted a picture of his car yesterday. He got into a wreck yesterday, but he immediately gave glory to God, right? And said, all things work together for the good. I was just, I was really, he's shining the light, right? You know, here's this, his car looks terrible. <laughs> it really does, but he's, you know, he lifted weights and ran today. So obviously, you know, uh, he's, he's all right. But the point is, you know, can I trust a providence? Can I say, I'm gonna do what's right. I don't need to manipulate the circumstances. I can choose to be all things to all people that by all means I may save some, realizing that I'm not gonna save everyone and I'm not gonna win everyone. In fact, they're not even all gonna like me. You know, I try to be likable. Am I not likable? I try to be likable, right? <laughs> It's just like trying to tell jokes. I try, I try to tell jokes and it doesn't always work. People don't always laugh. I try to be likable and sometimes people just give me that, that stink eye, you know what I'm saying? That, that bitter beer face, something, I don't know, you know. But you can try, that's all you can do. You just gotta love people and try. People approach you and what you say with a lens, a framework, a, uh, a point of reference. 
So this is why I've always disliked the, the traditional approach to, uh, to ministry or being a preacher because I don't want people to put me in that category. I don't want to be stereotyped like that, which has sometimes caused me to run the opposite direction. I mean, when I was a youth minister, you know, I used to wear my green Doc Martin boots to substitute teach. I was the coolest sub anybody ever had. They really liked me back then. So that's the closest I ever felt to, to being a movie star. I used to sub in so many different schools. And these, 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 these kids will all like me so much they would see me in the grocery store and say, Mr. Hall, Mr. Hall, hey, hey. I was like, dude, this is like being Elvis or something, you know. So in any event, right, he tried to be as a Jew and it didn't always work. In fact, it seldom works. Then he said to those under the law, I be became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Well, this could be the same as being a Jew, but I think that uh, we can apply this to anyone who has a strong code of ethics. Now, what I do see a lot of today, um, let's take, you know, you can take a group of people that are not like you as far as their ideology or their beliefs. But what we find is a lot of people have very, very strong ideas, values, right? They really think that what they're doing is right. And again, I'm not gonna bring specifics into this because I don't want you to frame me and I don't wanna get in an argument with anybody about a particular hot button issue. But you can consider, well, I will, I'll bring something in that I don't think is a hot button issue in this room. Consider somebody that is a vegan. Have you ever been around a vegan? It's not, this is not just, it's not just about eating. There's a whole belief system that's here. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about it, but I'm just saying there, there is a value for, for all life really to a great degree that they don't, they don't want to, eat anything from an animal because they don't want animals to be exploited, right? So we can have arguments about that all we want, but they have very, very strong values. So rather than if I'm hanging out with a vegan, assuming they would hang out with me, I'm. it's not just about not eating meat while I'm with them. I'm going to respect their value system because I don't think it's an evil value system, right? I understand them. Now, we had someone uh, that went to our church for a long time that was a, a vegan, I think she still is, uh, Annalyn. And uh, she's a very, very strong Christian. And I'm not sure what all of her underlying reasons are, but she's been a vegan as long as I've known her, like all the way back to her high school days. Incredible, incredible lady, if you've ever met this lady. She uh, she is a teacher for the deaf now. She's, she's brilliant, she's trilingual, right? Uh, and tricultural, uh, English, Spanish, and American Sign Language. And she's good at it. We used to have her down here signing. She did all the songs, and she did, but she's a vegan, right? But I, I use that as an example because I don't disrespect somebody that's there. I go, well, I'm gonna go get my meat. You know, you can just do that all you want. I'm from Texas, we eat meat here in Texas. Okay, well, you know, if you just like a big plate of meat, then I can, you know, hang out with you as well. But I don't think you're any more right than a vegan is. I really don't. 
I, I think we've just got to loosen up on some of these things. Some of these things are preferences and we've elevated them to the level of, you know, significance that we don't think that we can compromise. And precisely, you know, we do. But there are those that have a, a set of laws that they follow. And the Apostle Paul said, when I'm around somebody like that, then I can, I can adhere to the law like as they are without encumbering my freedom, right? So, um, you know, there are a lot of other issues I think that you could enter into here uh, where you might debate someone about, you know, their ideas concerning these things. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but like uh, our, our folk, the folks that we rented from the, the Seventh-day Adventists up the street up here, they're very, very strong on the Old Testament law and uh, worshiping on the on Saturday, which is the technical Sabbath, and uh, you know, not eating certain foods and that sort of thing. So they have very, very strong beliefs. So if I'm gonna have a relationship with someone like that and talk to someone like that, it's not gonna be all about me arguing with them constantly about the Sabbath, right? In fact, you know, I wouldn't have a problem going if, if it was, you know, something that I thought would promote a relationship and I thought the relationship was valuable, going and sitting through one of their services or whatever on a Saturday, um, that sort of thing, okay? Um, you know, political views have become the source of values for many in our time. Increasingly, Democrats are influenced by Marxist ideology, which has strong views against capitalism. Many on the right would consider themselves Bible-believing, but they don't take all of their values from the book. How do we communicate the gospel with each of these groups of strongly opinionated people whose values are informed and set by some other source than the scripture? So I will, I, I am going to throw something out there that is uh, potentially um, controversial because I posted some uh, uh, on someone's, uh, actually it wasn't someone's statement, it was from one of these news sources that I follow on Facebook. But there is a, a guy that's in the news right now, uh, maybe Washington, like Seattle, Washington, something like that. And he has uh, been charged with first degree murder. He is a father of a young lady who was dating a young man. And according to the report, again, realize we're reading a news report. This is the accusation, right? According to the father, the boyfriend sold this girl into sex slavery for $1,000. Now, I'm just confused as to exactly how that works, um, but okay, we just take it at face value. Let's, let's say that's accurate. That's horrible, right? That's absolutely horrible. So the guy went out to where uh, he rescued his daughter and then he went out to where the young man was, threw him in a trunk, hit him in the head with a brick, stabbed him repeatedly, and left him in the trunk of the car. It's not right. 
it's not right. It's, that's not the Christian's response. The kid should go be in jail for however long he needs to be in jail. He should go through the justice system. But the reason we have a justice system is so everybody doesn't just go out and seek revenge. It's like, and in fact, they, they put a picture of the Liam Neeson movie, right? Oh, yeah. The, what was it? Anyway, so rather than getting our values and our ethics from the scripture, now, you know, we get our values and ethics from movies. Well, I, I, I said what I just said to you. No, that's not right. We have a justice system for a reason so that everybody doesn't just, you know, pursue vengeance. What do I get? The laughing emojis. Yeah, when, when you don't have an argument, put a laughing emoji because that way you can show everybody how ridiculous this person's opinion is. My opinion is a biblical opinion. The Apostle Paul said, don't seek revenge. Jesus said, love your enemies, right? Leave room for the wrath of God. And see, the thing is, it's just like this. Are you aware of this fellow Kyle Rittenhouse? Um, yeah, I've seen that. Was 17-year-old kid that decided to go to some riot that was happening, brought his AR out there, which, why a 17-year-old kid? is marching around with an AR is something everybody should be concerned about. Yes. Um, and ends up getting chased by a couple of people and he murdered two people. So now he's having a trial and, you know, of course his attorney is trying to get him off for, you know, uh, defending himself and so forth. You know, let, let, let the trial continue. They're, they haven't accused him of premeditated murder, but they have accused him of murder, yeah. right? So the, the attorney is trying to get him off in saying that he uh, is, was defending himself. But the reality is the kid didn't need to go out to a riot with an AR-15 to begin with, right? And he did, in fact, shoot somebody. Is this something a Christian should do? Here's the reason I bring him up. The man that bashed the 19-year-old in the head with a brick and repeatedly stabbed him because he sold his daughter into sex slavery and Kyle Rittenhouse, both have smirks on their face every time you see a picture of them. They think they're right. They don't see anything wrong. And unless you and I tie ourselves to the Word of God, then it's just about these emotions, right? And these opinions that we have. Um, so if I am around someone that has a set of ethics that are different than mine, then perhaps what I need to do is I need to listen to them and then I need to be willing to, or available to, share the gospel with them, share the good news with them, right? Then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though he said, I'm not outside the law, I'm under Christ. So it's interesting that Paul did not identify Greeks or barbarians here, as in other passages. He simply uses a sweeping designation to refer to all those who lived apart from any sort of religious law. He's probably not referring to criminals here, though he would likely find ways to share the gospel even with them. So I want you to think of people that you know that don't seem to have any ethics, <laughs> right? If they just, they're pleasure seekers. Mm -hmm. You know, people that are just, they're into sensuality. They just go chasing what makes them feel good. Maybe that's drugs, maybe that's sex, maybe that's, you know, thrill-seeking, whatever it is. Um, can I enter into a relationship even with someone like that without following them into some form of immorality, right? Without judging them 
if I see something that I think is unhealthy, maybe I can even prove that scripture teaches is unhealthy, but am I gonna alienate myself from them because of their lifestyle or can I find a way to share the gospel with them? So that doesn't mean that I'm gonna go, you know, running to a brothel with somebody or a topless bar or a drug den so that I can share the gospel with them. But that doesn't mean I can't share the gospel with them, right? Um, you know, I am free, so I can go and, you know, sit and have my craft beer over here and talk to somebody next to me or whatever. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be outside the reign of Christ. Um, if I allow a drug, if I allow a relationship, if I allow anything to gain control over me, then I've allowed that to become an idol. Uh, that's We already saw that in this uh, very book where the Apostle Paul on two occasions indicated that um, he was quoting the Corinthians. Actually, there are two occasions. We just haven't come to the second one yet. The second one is in the next chapter. But um, he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me. Wait for it. This is the principle. But I will not be mastered by anything. So this is why if something becomes a bad habit, then it has gained mastery over my will. It's gained mastery over my, my desires, right? And then it's very difficult in these situations. We would call this an addiction. It's very difficult to get out of that addiction, right? We, we often need help to get out of that addicted, addictive situation. Um, so although I may say all things are lawful for me, that doesn't mean that I'm a lawless person. And although I might hang out with someone, hang out maybe is not a good term, share with someone, relate to someone who lives a more lawless lifestyle, that doesn't mean that I'm going to become lawless like them, right? So uh, he says, to the weak, I became weak. We have a natural attraction to wealth and popularity or fame and strength. But what about the weak, the people that are, uh, are not attractive, the people that are not wealthy, the people that uh, are difficult to be around? He says, when I'm in that situation, I humble myself in the same way, right? In the end, I would encourage you to memorize this, this verse, this phrase, I have become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. That's a good verse to just have in your mind. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings.